here. Myself on the screen here. So we'll be started today with our study on Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, in our ongoing study of Paul's letter to Philippi. So we'll begin with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Oh Lord, you're good. We thank you. We bless your holy name. We thank you for the Messiah who gives us life. We thank you, Lord, for the Shabbat that will soon be with us, Lord, later today. We thank you, Lord, for your love that has always been with us and your faithfulness as the God of Israel. We thank you, Lord, for these words you've given by your holy servant, Paul, and help us, Lord, to become more and more and more in Messiah each day as we study these holy words. We thank you. We bless your holy name. We thank you in the name of Yeshua, our righteous Messiah, in whose name we pray. Amen. So welcome to Letter to Philippi Live. My name is Sean Imsley. I'm the founder and teacher here at Letter to Philippi. This is the daily study in Paul's letter to the Philippians, the first initiative of this new Messianic Jewish theological and teaching organization. And as we've been talking about, we'll be adding new, new initiatives over time. This month of November, we're, we'll be launching our Messianic Jewish book review, where I'll be doing both text and video reviews of important books written by Messianic Jewish scholars, and also books that are reflective on Messianic Ju Judaism, the Paul within Judaism school of thought, and how they we can take these both from, from within the Messianic community and from the larger academic community to form a Messianic Jewish theology and understand our lives as Messianic Jews in a new way, and how these works both from within the movement and without the movement can be helpful as we build a Messianic Judaism for the future. So today we begin, again, our study in, the, in Paul's letter to Philippi. This is actually will be the beginning of our fourth time through. And uh, we'll be looking today at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, we will get started with that. So again, this is Letter to Philippi Live, brought to you Monday through Friday, 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem time. For those of our our, our friends and family who are in Israel, they're already into Shabbat right now. And those of us here in the States will have another another two to five hours, depending on where you are in the States, until sundown comes and Shabbos comes. But while, we, while we're waiting for Shabbos to come, we will, can look into these holy words of the Apostle Paul to the, to the Messianic community in Philippi. And... Uh, we we'll start with uh, Philippians chapter one, verse one. And I'll put that up on the on the screen. And we go to our and Philippians chapter one, verse one begins. From Shaul and Timothy, slaves of the Messiah Yeshua, Messiah Yeshua to all God's people united with the Messiah Yeshua and living in Philippi, along with the congregation leaders and Shamashim. I'll read that again. This is the, the beginning verse, the opening greetings to Paul's letter to Philippi, his community that he started, which we see in Acts 16. We read, From Shaul and Timothy, Slaves of the Messiah Yeshua, to the 
God's people united with the Messiah Yeshua living in Philippi, along with the congregation leaders in Shamashim. So we'll be looking at, at this verse with these different phrases that begin begin these opening readings to Paul's letter. We'll first start here with the most basic thing, who it is from, from Shaul. From, from Shaul, or as, as we'll talk about as the writer of the letter is the Apostle Paul. So the, the, the first, first phrase we have here is basically the who's writing this letter. It's from Shaul and Timothy, slaves to Messiah Yeshua. The writer of this letter is the Apostle Paul, also known as Shaul. The complete Jewish Bible, which we use in, in the study, which is my commentary is based upon, uses the name Shaul for all references to Paul in the Brit Hadashah New Testament. Shaul was his Hebrew or synagogue name. And like other Jews of the time, he also adopted a Greco-Roman second name, Paulus, or an English Paul. The second Gentile name was actually chosen based on a similar sound or other relation to the Hebrew name. You can see the, the similar sound sound of Shaul, Paulus, Shaul, Paulus. You know, or in English, it can clear Saul and Paul. A similar naming practice occurs today by Gentiles who convert to Judaism or Jews who are not raised religiously when they adopt a Jewish name related to their birth name. For example, Reuven for Robert or Shoshana for Susan. So starting in Acts 13.9, we encounter Paul's two names, which we read, Then Shaul, also known as Paul, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, stared straight at him. From this point forward in the book of Acts, Luke refers to Shaul by his Greco-Roman name Paul. Also known as that Paul refers to himself by his name in all of his letters. Throughout this commentary, we'll use the name Paul, reflecting his own use and that of other source research materials. The name change from Shaul to Paul in Acts could be understood as marking a shift of focus and field of service from Shaul, the Jewish disciple, to Paul, the apostle of Messiah, to the whole world, his globally recognized name reflecting his new global mission. This understanding is in contrast to the teaching that teaching amongst many, many Christian interpreters that this change of name was a change from Shaul the Jew to Paul the Christian. I recently saw, saw a uh, film on the life of Paul. And it, and it was for the most part, it was it was a very, very good film. You know, it, it showed it showed it showed the the work of his life specifically starting with the road to Damascus. But the thing, the thing that like, basically ruined the whole movie was at the very end, the final scene of the film, he, he is, he's Shaul, Shaul is leaving, leaving to go out, leaving from Damascus to go out and to begin his work of proclaiming Messiah Yeshua throughout the world. And they said, oh, people came up and said, oh, look, there's Shaul. You know, he was he was he was the he was the one who was persecuting us. You know, we should stay away from him. And, and Paul and the the character the actor who played played Paul says, "No, I am no longer Shaul the Jew. I am Paul the Christian." And that basically ruined the whole film for me because because that was is totally opposite of what is true. That this name change 
was a matter of having having a second name which he already had he, and Paul or Paulus Paulus in, in Greek that he was that he was adopting a more common name of the of the non-Jewish Gentile world there were that, that, that they could understand Paulus better than Shaul. So, so we can see that this is not a matter of him changing changing from being a committed Jew to being coming a Christian, leaving behind his, his, his practice and life as a Jew. But that this name change was more a matter of having a more common name, using his Gentile his name from the Gentile world as he went to bring the good news of the Messiah to the Gentile world. Paul would take his knowledge of the stock and Jewish tradition, communicate the message of Yeshua to the Philippians. So first we have the first person writing, sending this letter, Shaul or, or the Apostle Paul. Paul, is, as, as, as will be used throughout this, this, this teaching based on my commentary. So first we have the Apostle Paul, who was, who was the founder of the Messianic community in Philippi, writing this letter. And then we come to the phrase, and Timothy. Timothy was one of Paul's most loyal co-workers who had joined Paul as he was beginning his second missionary journey to the Asia Minor Messianic communities. The purpose of this journey was to share the rulings of the Jerusalem Council, announcing that Gentiles could become members of the Messianic community without first converting to Judaism. Timothy is in, introduced in Acts 16, verses 1 through 4, where we read, Shaul came down to Derbe and went on to Lystra, where there lived a Talmud named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who had come to trust and a Greek father. All the brothers in Lystra and Laconium spoke well of him. Shaul wanted Timothy to accompany him on his, his, his mission to bring this word that Gentiles could come to Yeshua faith and be completely part of the people of God as redeemed Gentiles, that they were not did not need to convert to Judaism as some teachers were telling them. So Shaul wanted Timothy to come to, him, to, to bring these words to the Gentile world, that they could come to the God of Israel. They could come solely by their faith trust in Yeshua, righteous Messiah. Shaul wanted Timothy to come in, so he took him and did a brit malah, a ritual circumcision on him, because of the Jews living in that area. For all, all, the, all of them knew that his father had been a Greek. As they went on from the towns and delivered to the people decisions reached by the emissaries and the elders in Yerushalayim for them to observe. In this introduction to, 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 the, to the individual Timothy, this man Timothy, you see that Timothy was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother who had become a follower of Yeshua. And we'll also notice in 2 Timothy 1.5 that his grandmother Eunice was also a Messianic Jew, making him a third generation Messianic Jew. Though we don't know why Timothy was circumcised, it appears from the text that his Greek father may have objected to having his son circumcised, possibly because of the Greek aesthetic ideal of not desecrating the perfect human body perfect human form or removing the foreskin. The way of understanding the human body by the Greeks was that the human body itself was perfect in itself and any any work done on any 
anything that is that is done to mar mar the the un the untouched human body would be considered to be a desecration of this perfect form of which circumcision the removing of the foreskin would have been seen as a way of marring the perfect human body in the Greek mindset. So this more than likely was one of the one of the reasonings behind his father and having him circumcised on the eighth day was because of this mindset. And also and also being that it could also be that that it was a matter of setting him out as different from from the Greek populace. There was we have both a sense of marring the human body by the act of circumcision, but also separation from the Gentile society. To prevent any confusion over Timothy's status as a Jew, because he was born of a Jewish mother, and uh, and but his father was Gentile, it didn't have him circumcised on the eighth day. And to avoid any issues among the Jewish communities and synagogues in their journey that could disrupt the gospel work, Paul circumcised Timothy, and we see that in Acts 16.3. Paul did not want Timothy's possibly ambiguous Jewish identity to pose a roadblock to the work of sharing their message among the Jewish population of Asia Minor. The fact that Timothy was Jewish and uncircumcised would have caused a stumbling block to the mission of sharing the Jewish Messiah with his fellow Jews as they would be confused why he was a Jew, but was not circumcised. Paul demonstrated Timothy's importance in him as a co-worker and disciple by mentioning Timothy in eight of his letters. And Timothy himself also received two of Paul's letters, first and second Timothy, which were written specifically to him. So he's mentioned in eight of the letters of Paul, and two letters are specifically sent to him, first and second Timothy. Paul may have included Timothy in this greeting portion to indicate that Timothy Function as his secretary, who physically wrote the letter as Paul dictated him. Paul also endorsed Timothy's authority as leader by including him in the opening greetings. So we can see the, that this letter is coming from Paul and also from Timothy. We can see that, that Timothy is a co-worker of Paul, could have been the one who actually wrote down these words as Paul dictated to him. And all, Paul also is mentioning Timothy here because he was going to continue on the work of Messiah after his death. So he wanted to show that he is passing on authority to Timothy as a leader in the Messianic community and one who has his backing and his imprimatur and his, his authority passed on to him. So he's telling people of Philippi that Timothy, in being included in this letter, included written as one of the one sitting letter, is also coming to them with Paul's authority. The next phrase we come to in, in the introduction in these, in these opening greetings is slaves of the Messiah Yeshua. Paul refers to himself and Timothy as slaves of the Messiah Yeshua. This self-identification is an essential precursor to one of the essential themes of the book, namely that followers of Yeshua were to model Yeshua's humility and willingness be slaves. A slave, a humble servant, willing to give their life for the Messianic community. Paul used the Greek word for slave, doulos, to refer to Yeshua later in the Philippians 2.7 in the Messianic hymn, 
where he speaks about the humble coming into our world of Messiah Yeshua, his willingness to suffer and die on the Roman cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return to glory, and his one day return to earth to rule and reign, bearing the name that is above all names. So Paul here is referring to him and, and Timothy in these opening words as slaves of the Messiah Yeshua, and he uses the same Greek word to speak about Yeshua, our righteous Messiah being a slave to the will of God, to the plan of God for salvation for both Jew and Gentile. Given the nature of life in the Roman Empire and major cities such as Philippi, the Philippians would be familiar with slaves and what it meant in their society to be a slave. And the use of douloi for slaves to represent himself and Timothy, and later to refer to Yeshua as doulos, the singular version, or as a slave in the Messianic hymn of, of chapter 2, Paul's making clear to the Philippians what following Yeshua means and what the model for their new life entails. The theological dictionary of the New Testament says that the word doulos means that the service offered by the slave is performed out of submission, a dependence on the master. And this truly truly matches what Paul's life was about and Timothy's life about, that they were totally given or submitted to the lordship and the mastership of Yeshua over them as willing slaves that, out of joy, accepted their role as a slave to the Messiah Yeshua. For Paul being a slave of Messiah Yeshua was a wholehearted, joyful act of submission Yeshua is his Lord. Being a slave of Messiah was to Paul the realization of true freedom. And that's 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 very, very counterintuitive, but it's so powerful to understand that that in this Paul is saying that his life was totally submitted to Yeshua, that life to him as a slave of Messiah was the true realization of freedom. Being enslaved to the Messiah means when he was no longer enslaved to sin. As we see in Romans 6.22, Paul wrote, However now, freed from sin and enslaved to God, you do get the benefit. It consists in being made holy, set apart for God, and its end result is eternal life. Paul's enslavement was no longer to sin and death, but to Yeshua and life. Both now and internally, in his slavery to Yeshua, he was truly free from enslavement to sin. Though it was detrimental to call oneself a slave in the Greek and Roman cultures, Paul here is teaching a lesson to the Philippians on the critical role of being considered a slave to the Messiah, echoing the use of servant as a title of honor for someone chosen for service to the Lord. In the Tanakh, we see many people referred to as a slave or servant of the Messiah. In the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, of the, of the Tanakh, in translating from the Hebrew, they use the word doulos in reference to Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, Joshua, and David, King David. In the verses... But in the Hebrew, the, the word evid is used. 
the in in the Greek translation, the rabbis who translated use the word Greek word doulos or servant or slave, as as we see, as Paul is referring to him, Timothy as slaves of the Messiah, which would be a detrimental thing in in that world of the time to be considered a slave and one who is who, who is who is held in bondage. But but the slavery that Paul and Timothy were in was this slavery to the Messiah Yeshua, which gave them life and hope and not and and broke them away from slavery to sin and death. And like and like them, we can see that 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 those those great slaves of the, of the Tanakh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, Joshua, and David, were referred to as Eved, Eved Hashem, in the Hebrew Bible, and then was translated by the rabbis for the Greek translation using the same word doulos. Paul refers to himself as as in the Greek translation they would speak about Moses, Joshua, David, and others who were servants of God in the Tanakh as as doulos, as slaves of, of the God of Israel. Paul here is also taking upon himself not the detrimental understanding of slave, but the but the grander understanding of slave, like the like Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest, the the greatest one who 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 served God in the in the Brihat, in the the Tanakh. That he, as he was Eved Hashem, Paul was saying that him and and Paul, him and Timothy, are slaves of the Messiah today. Like those of old, they take on their slavery to the God of Israel and to the Messiah of Israel. Paul also makes clear that he's as as slave of as a slave of Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah. His devotion to Yeshua is central to his self identification. Is in finding and submitting himself to the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, that Paul sees meaning in his life. And he stated clearly here that his only proper response to his encounter with the Messiah is to subject him as a slave. His identification as a slave of Yeshua motivated him to model Yeshua and commend the same way of life to the Philippians. So Paul, from his time of encountering Yeshua on the road to Damascus, who was dying breath when he was executed under Nero, was about being a slave of the Messiah, that he, that he was no longer enslaved to sin, to death, to this world, but he had become enslaved to the Messiah of Israel, to the God of Israel, and to the way of life that can only be provided by the God of Israel. And he is compelling on to the people of Philippi, this community that he loves so much, they are too to understand themselves as slaves of the Messiah Yeshua and to live that life out as one totally committed to the Messiah of Israel, the God of Israel, and to walking in the path of the scriptures of Israel. So that was the the from part of the letter. Now we come to the the addressee, the two part of the letter, where Paul says, All God's people to all God's people united with the Messiah Yeshua, and living in Philippi. Paul wrote this letter to the people in Philippi, a city in, in what is now the modern country of Greece. It was also the first city in, in, on the European continent 
where Paul visited and established a Messianic community. We see this in Acts chapter 16. As seen earlier, Philippi had a minimal Jewish population, just a few women who were actually praying at the riverside. So Paul was writing to a mostly Gentile Messianic community. Though there, there would have been some Jews and God-fearers who were members of the community, especially being that the first one, first person to come to faith in Messiah Yeshua was Lydia, who was Jewish, and the first Messianic fellowship gathering place was in, in her home. So there were Jews and God-fearers who were part of the Messianic community in Philippi. This was to be a, a mostly Gentile congregation, being that that it was basically it was it was basically a retirement community for Roman officials and and those who had, had served in the Roman military, basically basically as, as I called it before, the Boca Raton of the of the first century world. This is where where people who wanted to have all the rights and privileges of living in in Rome, but did not want to, but wanted to have have life outside of that. They could retire to Philippi and have full full Roman citizenship, but also not be in the capital itself. As I said, this was the the Boca Raton of the first century was Philippi. Those were those Roman officials and others who wanted to hold on to the Roman citizenship, but also to not be be in the city of Rome themselves. The phrase all God's people is rendered all God's holy people in some other translations. The Greek word hagios, sometimes translated as holy ones or saints, is used in the Septuagint. As I said earlier, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which was done done by a group of, of rabbis in the in the late part of, of the, the before the common era. And they, they use the word, the same word of holy or hagios in Greek to translate the Hebrew word kadosh, which means holy in Greek. Uh, the, the scholar Mark Nanos sees in this phrase, all God's holy people, Paul continuing a connection to his Pharisaic Jewish life, holiness for that life, and his desire for the Philippians to be holy. So Nanos here, here sees that that in this use of of the phrase the, the reference to be holy the holy people is that uh, Paul is is continuing to understand himself within his Pharisaic background within his life as he continues to understand his life practicing Judaism from the Pharisaic point of view, which focused on holiness and life of holiness. He is compelling that on as he has focused his life on holiness, walking in that path. He is compelling on the people of Philippi to understand themselves as holy because of their connection to Yeshua, our our righteous Messiah. Nanos also understands that Paul is bringing these Gentiles in Philippi into a life of holiness, walking a new way of life for them within the context of a Jewish understanding and framework with the Yeshua faith, even as they remain Gentiles. So, so Paul here is, is calling these, these now redeemed Gentiles to move into a life of 
holiness, a life understanding their life as a pursuit of holiness, as seeking to become more and more like the Messiah, of which he is the greatest example of holiness, the one who is, is the righteous Messiah of Israel. Like Next we come to the phrase, along with the congregational leaders in Shamashim. This is an interesting addition, addition to Paul's, Paul's uh, introductory words in his letters. This is the one letter of his 13 letters that he wrote where he actually mentions the congregational leaders and the Shamashim, or the, the elders and deacons of the congregation. This is a unique piece in the Philippian letter that he, that in his, in his, uh, in his address to those who, who he was, he's giving the letter, he mentions here in, in Philippi, their leaders, the congregational leaders, the elders, and the Shamashim, the deacons in the community. Paul makes a point to include in his opening words a greeting to both the congregational leaders and Shamashim, deacons. In doing so, Paul is showing that there was an established leadership over the community in Philippi. Paul wanted to alert these leaders on their roles and responsibilities to learn from Paul as the overseer for all the missing communities and also teach the people under their spiritual care in Philippi to walk in God's ways. So we see here that in this in this word, these opening words, in his his uh, his address to those who he's writing to, he includes the elders and deacons, the congregational leaders, the rabbis, the elders, the deacons in the community, those who are in spiritual leadership of the community. He makes a point to mention them in these opening words to call them to understand that they have a responsibility learn these things that Paul is giving them, and also to pass them on to their community. So this is interesting. I said this is the only letter that Paul actually addresses the elders and, and the deacons in his opening, opening words. The role of elders over a synagogue was familiar from Jewish practice. The original 12 Talmudim, the students or disciples of Yeshua, who would have led in the early Messianic community in Jerusalem, served as a continuation of this established practice. They were later joined by Yaakov, James, the brother of Yeshua, who became the leader of the Jerusalem Messianic community. These elders were to be devoted to the spiritual needs of the Messianic community, which we see in Acts 6.2. And to continue this focus, they chose shamashim, or, or deacons, dedicated to the physical needs of the Messianic community. Then Acts 6.3-7. Paul in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, and Titus 1, 6, give a listing of requirements of those to be elders in Shamashim. We can see in Acts 14, 23, from Paul's first missionary journey, that he established elders in the community that he founded. We read, after appointing elders for them in every congregation, Shaul and Barnabas, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord whom they had their trust. From this example, we can understand that Paul and Timothy in Philippi, as recorded in Acts 16, would have chosen elders over the Messianic community, which they began on their, on their first trip to Philippi on Paul's second missionary journey. In referring to the congregational leaders in the greeting, Paul could be making them aware of his message to the community, especially in Paul's reference to false teachers and the false teachings 
as described in Acts 3, 1 through 11. As spiritual leaders in community, they were to stand for the truth of the gospel and against false teaching like shepherds over a flock. Leaders would also be called upon by Paul later in the book to deal with disunity among leaders, Philippians 4, 2-3, which could fracture the whole community. Also given that one of Paul's motivations for writing the letter was to thank the Philippians for their gifts to him, Paul here would be greeting the leaders of the community who were responsible for collecting and distributing the contributions of the Philippians to Paul. The Paul here in addressing the congregational leaders in the Shamashim is one, making them aware of, of their role. And he's calling them out for them to understand what he is teaching this letter, what he's calling them to do. But it is their responsibility to take what he says in this letter and to model it in their own lives and also to pass it on to those within the community and to be an example of this. And also, as we said, we'll see later in the book that there's issue of false teachers coming that we'll see in chapter three, and an issue of disunity between two leaders of the congregation we'll see in chapter in chapter four. So in this in this introductory words, Paul is 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 calling the leaders of the congregation to be listening because he, he was going to tell them about the importance of them dealing with false teaching in the congregation and dealing with this disunity between leaders and congregation. So in addressing them in the opening words, he's making them aware that he has specific things that he wants them to hear and to take care of for the sake of the betterment and for the continuing life of the Messianic community. Though a fully formed congregational leadership structure in the early Messianic communities, is understood to be a later development. It appears from this greeting that, at least in Philippi, a congregational structure, including congregational leaders and shamashim, existed. Although this structure in Philippi was not a common structure among the congregations um, among the congregations of Yeshua until the second century of the Common Era, as we see in in uh, E. P. Sanders' work. Some commentators have suggested that this structure could have developed earlier in Philippi based on their cultural desire for official leadership structure from possibly a strong Roman influence. So, so there, there are those, those who question that there was actually a fully structured leadership, leadership uh, group among the congregation in Philippi. That there, were, that there were elders, there were elders and deacons as we'd see later on in church history, developing more in the second century of the common era. But in, dress, in, but in this, we can see that possibly because of the Roman influence on structure and leadership structure and the need to have, to have a full formal structure for, for any grouping, which would be common from Roman life, which was very structured life, that in Philippi, this may be an early developer of a, of a leadership structure within the community that would not come about until later in the other Messianic communities, but in Philippi, because of their Roman influence, they may have had an established elder and deacon leadership structure, or leadership, leadership model that would be later developed in the other Messianic communities. Though we do see, though it's not specifically mentioned in the other letters, 
that Paul and Paul did actually choose elders of the communities, those who would be the congregational leaders, those who would be the spiritual leaders in each of these these missing communities that he planted. From Acts 16 in the letter of the Philippians, we learn of several leaders by name in the Philippian missing community, including Lydia, Yodia, Syntyche, Syzygus, Clement, and the other fellow workers of Paul. So we do we do see, as I said, in Acts 16 and in the letter of Philippi, that there were named leaders in the community. So Paul was wanting to make sure that these people who have been set up into spiritual leadership in the community understand that these words are are for them to to take to to hold in their life, but and also to teach others. And as I said, that specifically with the issues that Paul will be dealing with false teachers in chapter three and division among leadership in chapter four, that these issues he wanted to highlight to the leadership community by specifically addressing them in the opening words of this letter so they know that there will be words for them specifically to deal with the issue of false teaching which threatens the community by having a false gospel message, a false message about Yeshua, and the disagreement between the leaders Yodi and Syntyche, which would could divide the community and even split the community up as people take sides with, I'm, I'm for Syntyche or I'm for Yodia. So Paul here, in mentioning the elders and deacons in the community, we're calling them to understand that these words are for them to, to on Paul's behalf, to impress on the people of Philippi. So that would actually conclude chapter one, verse one. We'll go back to it and and uh, read it one last time, and then we will conclude our time for today. From Shaul and Timothy, slaves of the Messiah Yeshua, to all God's people united with the Messiah Yeshua and living in Philippi, along with the congregational leaders and Shamashim. So this concludes the first verse of the first chapter of Paul's letter to Philippi. And starting up next week, we will go into chapter 1, verse 2, as and in our continuing study of Paul's letter to Philippi, here on Letter to Philippi Live, which comes to you Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem time. And this is an initiative of lettertophilippi.org. You can go to our website, lettertophilippi.org. You can watch previous classes we've had. You can ask any questions. You can leave a prayer request. I'm going to be praying for you. Every request that comes in, I will pray for. You can purchase a copy of our Messianic Commentary on Philippians on our resources page. You can make a, a much-needed much needed contribution to our work on our, on our giving page, either a one-time contribution or an ongoing contribution to keep the work of Letter to Philippi going. You can read about our mission statement our statement of beliefs. And as I said, if you have any questions, feel free to fill out our contact form. We want to be be available for you and to bring these words to you and to bring new initiatives as time goes by. So we appreciate all those who, who watch this and appreciate those who support the work of, of uh, in, both in your prayers and also your, for your financial giving. And that will conclude our time today as we're beginning anew study through Paul's letter to Philippi with chapter 1, verse 1, and we will go into chapter 1, verse 2 
our next time together on Monday. So thank you for watching. Again, go to lettedphilippi.org for any information you have, you, you want, or any communication you want to have with us. Just go to lettedphilippi.org. And we will be concluding for today. And we will be entering Shabbos in about between, between three and five hours, depending on, on where you are in the country. So early Shabbat Shalom to everyone. And uh, we will see you on Monday on the, uh, in the new week as we look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. Thank you. My name is Sean Emsley. This is Letter to Philippi Live at lettertophilippi.org. And we'll see you at 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Jerusalem time on Facebook Live, Instagram Live, YouTube Live, and Twitter Live, and also streaming live on our website, lettertophilippi.org. So thank you for watching. Shabbat Shalom, and uh, have a great rest of your of your week and your weekend. And we will see you on on Monday. Shalom, blessings.